Hello everyone, Brian here. If you'd like to support the Head Games Podcast, I encourage you to check out our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash headgamespodcast, games spelled G-A-M-S, of course. There's all kinds of exclusive content and perks waiting for you over there, so please go ahead and check us out, and thank you as always for your support. everyone and welcome to the 11th episode of the head games podcast i am your host brian gottlieb here with me as always is my friend mr jonathan carter jonathan how does this lovely week find you this week's pretty good i'm feeling energized it's fall well you said it last week but it's it's like very 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 much fall here in dc like i get to wear a jacket and a hoodie and life is just so good yeah, I spent this that. past weekend out in the mountains enjoying exactly the fall landscapes and weather, and it was, it was just beautiful, absolutely outstanding. Uh, I even visited the local ski mountains out here in Seattle. I was at Crystal Mountain, which I hadn't seen before, but I think is figuring to be my home base for snowboarding this winter. So I took a ride up there and just saw the facilities, and I'm, I'm even excited for winter at this point. All the seasons can come. Mm-hmm. They all look great out here, so I, I'm into it. Is skiing pretty big out there? Like I went to school in Denver, so I think that's where my brain doesn't like go any west, more west than that. Right. And rightfully so if you're in Denver. I mean, I think the better resorts are in Colorado, but there are promising resorts. I'm also very close to Whistler, which obviously one of the best resorts in North America. That's only about four hours away. Uh, And it's local places. Right. right. North, the the east is just a sheet of ice. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that is accurate. Um, but yeah, there, there's options and they seem reasonable and fairly close to me. So I'm excited for this upcoming, coming winter season. I'm sure we'll talk about some aspect of my snowboard preparation as we get into those months. Uh, interesting how to prepare for kind of like that extreme type of sport with a little bit of Mm -hmm. risk and one that you can't do all year round. So I think there are some mental steps you need to take before you prepare for that season. Right. Yeah. If you're not a pro, like there's a portion of every ski and snowboard season where you are definitely rusty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have to find your footing again. So maybe we'll revisit that topic when the time comes. Get yeah. me ready for the upcoming snowboarding season. Cool. Uh, so in this past week, we released the first of our workbooks over on our Patreon site. It's sounding like people are digging it. You laid out some really nice just guidelines for some of the routines we've talked about, some of the information we've distributed over time, added some additional information in terms of additional links, additional reading. And I think it's hitting with people. It seems like they're really enjoying having access to that resource. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to offer that because it's actually kind of weird doing a podcast with this type of content for me because so much of my career is I educate a performer and then I'm there to facilitate them starting to apply it. (laughs) Whereas with this podcast, just like you and I talk for an hour or something every week and we just throw it out there into the world. And some people follow up in like our discord or or message us and whatnot, but otherwise it's like, Oh, I hope it's working. Right. Right. It's nice to have this mechanism to check back in and get people on the right path for sure. Right. So I think we're going to get right into our topic for this week. We're looking to, in some ways, continue our discussion from last week. Uh, We talked a lot about our weaknesses last week, our greatest 
what we determine were our greatest psychological weaknesses. I haven't had anyone really taunting me or tormenting me too bad for some of these silly things I did in the past. I appreciate <laughs> that, everyone. Thank you for understanding. Um, and, you know, I think it was a really valuable process to check in with these things and think about how we can change ourselves, how we can work to make things better. But this week, we're going to get into the second part of that process, and we're going to explore our strengths. And Jonathan, I know you think this is a, a, a vital part of the check-in process. Talk a little bit about why it's so important for us to not only think about our weaknesses, but to celebrate our strengths as well. Yeah, I just don't think we do it enough. Um, and, and it's really silly if you look at it, just like if you zoom out and, and consider it. We spend so much time dwelling on the stuff we're bad at and that's so we're reinforcing in our in our brain what we're bad at we're, we're constantly thinking about it and the stuff we're bad at doesn't help us do anything whereas mm -hmm. like when we're succeeding we're likely succeeding at least in part due to the stuff we're good at already and if we can hone in on what it is we're good at we can figure out how to put ourselves in situations to leverage that more or just if we find ourselves in difficult situations, like dig down and and like pull out that stuff that we know we're already good at and, and find a way to use that to overcome a challenge or overcome an obstacle. Yeah, that's a really good point. Our past successes are essentially playbooks for future success, future yeah, success. And, and I feel like we don't tap, tap into that at all. Yeah. And we talked about it when we were talking failure, I guess, months ago um, that one aspect of failure of practice is just figuring out what to improve, but also figuring out what it is you need to sustain for next time. And, and when I think of us reflecting on strengths, it's really figuring out what do we want to sustain day in and day out and like who it is that we are at our best and just figuring out how to bring in that best self, so to speak, to everything we do. Hmm. I like it. I like it. It's a good, good way to look at it. Yeah. So I kicked us off last week. How about we, Trade places, and you start us off this week. Give us what comes out as one of your biggest strengths. Sure, I'm happy to get us rolling. Uh, so when I was thinking about this, it's funny because I identify this ability as one of my greatest strengths, but it feels almost like it's very limited in its influence over my life. And I'll explain more as we go through it. Mm -hmm. I consider myself to be, I don't know if good is the right word, and to be tolerant of risk to an mm -hmm. appropriate extent in my life. And what I mean by that is that I will go outside norms and, you know, I, I will take on actions which could have potentially devastating consequences if I think there is an appropriate likelihood of that action bringing a greater benefit to my life mm -hmm. it is the cleanest way I can say it. Yeah, and, and I think like us hearing your background over, over the weeks or just some of the stories you've come up that definitely rings true for me that it like you've definitely done that numerous times that I know about and I've only known you for a short time. Right. And it's kind of been my MO throughout my life. And I think you can regard it as lack of focus or 
you know, lack of being able to hone in on what exactly I'm attempting to accomplish, but I don't see it that way. I see it as me as a person, I, I put happiness at a premium above everything. Mm-hmm. And happiness is a very nebulous term and it means a lot of different things to different people. But I think we all know it when we feel it. Mm-hmm. Like there's no faking happiness. You know when things are making you truly happy, when you're, either your career or your school or your competition is making you truly happy. You can identify that. You can get to that route. You can fool yourself sometimes too. But I also feel there's just like, when you're fooling yourself to think you're happy, you know you're fooling yourself, right? Like deep down inside, if you mm-hmm. really check in, you you know what you're up to. But true happiness is, it's it's not counterfeitable. It's 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 very personal. It's very real and inescapable. And all of my decisions tend to be in pursuit of that. And if that means giving up, you know, a guaranteed salary or Mm -hmm. giving up something that people perceive me as very good at, oh, you should keep doing this. You're obviously good at it. Why would you ever (laughs) leave this? Uh, If it doesn't make me happy, I will take the risk of walking away from something like that. Now, there's aspects of my life where I'm extremely risk adverse. I want to say that, Um, you know, things like proper safety precautions. I always wear a helmet when I <laughs> snowboard. I always have my seatbelt on. I, you know, I, I'm not the type, I don't, I will never ride a motorcycle. It seems insane to me. I, I can't fathom doing <laughs> so. Um, there's aspects of like physical risk that really make me uncomfortable. But as far as kind of social and economic risk, I'm very good at taking those type of risks and, and seeing what kind of changes they can bring to my life. Yeah. And I think the difference there is that you're not just taking risks for risk's sake, but there's a calculation mm. to it. Like, like in the social, like you moving across the country uh, or you quitting your job as a lawyer, like in that it, it wasn't like you woke up one day and just, just did it. Uh, I'm sure there was a process of just weighing like, what's it look going to look like if I do that, if I don't do that. And the you call it happiness or, or it sounds a lot to me like well, your well-being is you, you rated it. It's going to be better as a result of taking this risk. Yeah. Well-being is a very good thing to hone in on. I mean, it goes to mental well-being, physical well-being, all of these things which can lack in certain circumstances. And, you know, when I talk about leaving my job in New York and th- the decision was much, much broader than money. And I also want to clarify too, I I am very comfortable talking about money when it comes to uh, my job at a big law firm. And I always forget that people don't know this, but big law firms pay the same amount to every single one of their associates. And it's publicly known. If you just go Google big law salary, you will see exactly what what I was making, what everyone else in the field was making. Mm-hmm. And I forget that other careers aren't like that, which I actually think is fairly problematic. Like I think people who are benefiting from labor use our desire for secrecy and our wages yeah. against us uh, and use it to get cheaper labor. But that's beside the point. We'll skip that. <laughs> uh, this is a long-winded way of saying, if I were still at my firm in New York City, uh, now the year I would be at, I would be making $300,000 a year right now. And for someone with my background, I, I mean, I think most people with most backgrounds, that's an unfathomable amount of money. That's just a lot of money to walk away from. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of people be like, 
that's crazy. How can you do that? How can you take that risk? You're essentially setting yourself up for life by following out this career path. And I just don't see it that way. I'm willing to take the risk and see what opportunities I can make for myself. And I think risk-taking ties into confidence in a lot of ways too, Mm -hmm. right? Like I have this belief, I will find something, I will make my own path, something will come up and probably not ever at that economic level again, but certainly at an increased happiness level. It's very plausible to me that I can come out much happier despite having given up that kind of very solid career path. Yeah. And like, while it sets you up for life financially, I mean, I'm just thinking about some of the conversations we've had, or some of the life changes you've made, like when we talk about sleep, and you're like, Oh, well, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to pin down because I don't have an alarm, really. And I can just wake up whenever like that wouldn't be your life if if you were still in big law or like fitting in running for a marathon, this talk of like, leisurely going through the mountains and like it just be an entirely different life so sure you're like the dollars entering your bank account would be greater and maybe that sets you up for the long run but i would wager that the the health decrease is probably going to impact your longevity (laughs) oh i totally agree with you yeah and i think that's also part of effective risk taking as well is being able to weigh a lot of different factors which again i would consider another strength of mine kind of an ancillary strength that goes with this Um, being able to see all possibilities and not get fixated on one thing. Because I think a lot of people who get tied to career paths where they aren't necessarily happy, and we all know people who are Mm -hmm. going through this. I mean, there's so many people in all of our lives who don't enjoy what they're doing. They do it because it makes sense for them financially to do so. And look, there's a lot of privilege in my position that I'm Mm -hmm. talking about. And I absolutely understand that. And A lot of people don't have the flexibility to make these kind of determinations. Uh, It makes me very sad that that's the case, but society is shaped in such a way that not everyone gets to make these kind of decisions. Mm -hmm. And I do have a lot of empathy for that. I don't want to discredit that at all. Um, But people with the capacity for making these kind of choices often get fixated on one thing. And in a lot of instances, that one thing is money. Um, and I, I think I have a good balance of differing factors and being able to weigh them against each other and getting to the the end result, which often I equate to happiness. I, that's the cleanest way to look at it. Which factors balanced in which way are going to make me the happiest? Yeah, it sounds like I agree that the calculated risk taking is is definitely a strength, but I think it's a it's like a piece of a bigger puzzle. I think the strength here is your ability to actually have a pretty good idea what makes you happy or like what leads to your your like best well-being and and then be comfortable making decisions that lead to that and i think that's something that a lot of people lack like how many people do you know and and this might still be you so this might like make my whole argument fall flat but, but we'll go with it like so many people just like live for friday mm. and, and then it's like monday sucks and I, I'm guessing the way that you have set up, like what you're doing now is a little different than that. And like, maybe Friday doesn't have the same, like massively better value other than your wife still is kind of a slave to that system. Yeah. That's, that's where my spike in value comes from is now my wife 
isn't working anymore and we get to do things together, which is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I certainly still have a lot of appreciation for the weekend, but it's different. It's not like, oh, finally, I don't have to do this task that mm-hmm. I don't want to do anymore because I like the tasks I'm doing throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's very different in that regard. But yeah. I, I think you're spot on. So many people are forced into a position or put themselves in a position where it's just like, I just need to make it through this week. And in all instances, and this is, this is moving across a lot of aspects of my life now, and it hasn't always done this. It's definitely in the past two or three years where I really feel like I've gotten a solid grasp on this. But each decision I make, I try and weigh it against my overall happiness. And mm-hmm. this is in purchasing things. This is in what I eat, what I drink, how I exercise, what I do for a living. All of these different decisions all come down to a base rate of how does this affect my happiness? Mm -hmm. And it's taken out a lot of purchases from my life. I'll say that. (laughs) So many things. I'm just like, well, this isn't actually going to bring me any happiness, so I won't (laughs) buy it. And it's very easy to walk away from purchases under that kind of uh, you know, framework. Uh, But it's useful in a lot of other areas too. It was the core of me being able to transition to being a vegetarian certainly is like what is going to bring me more happiness and i ultimately ultimately determined not eating meat anymore is the optimal thing for my happiness so you've had this for like for a while it sounds like this is something that has been pretty core to who you are i think i think since i left uh my firm job is essentially when i kind of developed this principle Um, yeah that was like the first decision that lets you experience this and then you realized Hey, that that went fine, and this is actually me at my best, and then just kind of lived I, through that. I think so. Yeah, I think I think on the whole, I'm uh, a better person than I was under that framework, and I'm certainly a poorer person than I was under that <laughs> framework. Um, but that's only one part of the equation, right? And right. I have to balance that against other things, and I I think this is a much more uh, positive version of me, and one that contributes more to. Uh, the world and my personal relationships. Like I think it puts me in a better place to be a better husband, a better friend, mm-hmm. uh, a, a better son, a better relative, all, all these things. I, I think on the whole, living this lifestyle makes me better at at those aspects of my life. Makes sense. So I think that basically wraps up all I want to say about that. I, I guess one final check-in, a, a lot of this also, I can see seeds of it in when I was developing as a poker player at a very young age. And obviously there's a huge tolerance for risk involved with playing poker. One that I didn't quite grasp or comprehend or or really understand when I was younger, but some of the fearlessness and the disregard for money, certainly, like that's a huge part. I mean, I mean, you laugh, but being able to disregard the financial implications of your decision oh, yeah. is an important part of poker. It's an indispensable part, and you know, right. part of it is bankroll management. You know, never putting yourself in a position where the decisions are action actually ultimately affecting your financial well being. But also, you have to disassociate from your money in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, and. You, you have to buy into risk when the odds tell you to do so. And that's kind of how I've looked at a lot of my life since that point is like risk is judged by its return. Your tolerance for risk should be judged by the potential for return. And uh, I apply that across all things now. It's pretty sound. So I, that's about all I want to say on that. How about we transition to, to your strengths, Jonathan? I want to hear about what you identify as one of your greatest strengths. 
some combination of optimism and gratitude. Uh, it's funny because it's like one of the first things we talked about on this cast. Um, I just have, I want to say relentless is the word that comes to mind. I have like relentless optimism. It's really easy for me in a situation to see the opportunity that can come from it. And when bad stuff does happen or if bad stuff could happen, I don't often dwell on it for too long. I just kind of move past it and figure out like, what's the opportunity? Is this optimism something that you have consciously worked on developing or do you think it's part of your core nature? I think it's a combo. It's definitely always been there to some level. Um, And I think the, the part that's probably always been there is being able to find like what I can influence or what control I have over a situation, which is what, what optimism is really grounded in. It's, it's figuring out where you have control, but then the more of the like day to day, I don't know if it's like living optimism or just like the, the happiness side of it, positive emotion side It's it's definitely a, a constant work in progress, but I definitely started the game at like a base level, I, I think above average. Yeah, that always helps, right? Like I'm <laughs> I'm picturing small Jonathan walking around and telling people like, don't worry, it'll be fine <laughs> and various other tidbits of advice. Yeah, I think that's definitely definitely part of it. And and this isn't like head in the clouds optimism. Um, like I don't think life is always wonderful and nothing bad happens. Like I've definitely had my share of hardship and sadness and like I experience negative feeling emotions. Um, I just move past it pretty quickly. And I think even more so if it's not just me involved. So if my family or my wife or my friends, like it's more than just me experiencing a bad situation or a situation that could go poorly. I think I'm, able to very quickly be the person who redirects our attention to what can we do about something. I, I think that's admirable. I think that comes from a place of selflessness a lot of the time. Like you just, you want to, you see your role as a helper as being more important than your personal stake in the matter. Do you think this could be a negative as well though? Like, in a lot of ways, I think you can make an argument that this leads to some disassociation from your emotions. Is that fair? I think there are probably moments where it's like I take that feeling or like the potentially catastrophic thoughts and I just am able to like put them in a box and like put like a timer on them. Like, hey, I'm going to get back to that. Like, remind okay. me later. Um, but yeah, like, I I think if I didn't have an ability to actually get through stuff or like take the time to actually address it, that it would just be this ticking time bomb that would just explode at the wrong moment and like all that would come through. But I think I'm generally good about like 
when things suck, I understand that they suck. I just don't make them suck more than they have to. It's like a a current example. Suck minimization, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> we're uh, like so. My mother passed away about a year ago, and we've been dealing with like her estate, and it's a royal pain. And there's so much stuff that could go wrong with like her house and everything. But I think I've just accepted that. Like in my mind, I see like the worst case scenario is nothing good comes from it and it's just like a ton of stress or whatever. Uh, and I just like recognize that quickly off the bat. I'm like, okay, well now like that's where it could go. It's unrealistic. It's going to get any worse than that. What can I start doing to take control of the situation? And like where, like I don't let bad stuff control me. I figure out like, what is it I can do? Um, and I, I mentioned gratitude when I, I first said this is a strength. I think part of it is because I'm just so grateful before the opportunities I have day in, day out that mm. like training that gratitude very, very deliberately makes it so it's like, yeah, some things really suck, but I woke up this morning and I'm in pretty good health and I have a job that's cool and I get to record this podcast and I'm able to go to the gym and work out and like there's just so much going on. Like I have, a, I have an awesome wife. I have these cats who are like sometimes annoying, but they're pretty cool overall. Like I can just endlessly list the things that I am grateful for that in the moment when something sucks, like, yeah, this really sucks, but it's going to be done at some point. And then I'm going to go back to taking ownership of, of like what's going on in my life. Um, my wife is going to be embarrassed that I sh share this and she listens to the cast. So I'm definitely going to get yelled at for this. I hope everyone <laughs> appreciates it. But she was having a uh, tough day not too long ago where she was just generally down on things and a little stressed out. And so we actually walked around our house just together. We just walked from the upstairs to the downstairs and we looked at things we owned. We looked at pictures of things we'd done. Uh, we looked at the house itself, the grounds of the house. We walked around outside and looked at all the trees and uh, the beautiful flowers and, and just all these things. And, and we visited with our dog who loves us both very much. And we walked around and just took stock of all these incredible things we had to be thankful for. And so sometimes it feels easy for me because I'm at a very good place in my life. But mm -hmm. even at, at points where things were not going well for me, which I've certainly experienced, I have had some very lean, very down times in my life. And even in that moment, there was still so much to be thankful for. Right. And I think uh, an activity like that was really, I, I know for her, it was really eye-opening mm -hmm. and did a lot to help her mood because you get so bogged down in like the minutia and the moment to moment stuff that you lose sight of all the amazing things going on around you and all the opportunity and, and just things you have to be grateful for. So uh, that was something that I, I still do it every now and then. I just walk around and like appreciate all the things that are surrounding me um, because things are good. And yeah. things are often good for us. Even in hard times, there's a lot to be thankful for. I know it's hard to see, but the effort, if you put in the effort, you get rewarded for it. Yeah, I think that's a really cool application of it. And I will say that if you don't take stock of what you're grateful for, 
in times when you're not like needing to dig deep into it, it's mm. a lot harder to do it when you really need to. So I've, I've mentioned a couple of times now over previous casts, like my family has experienced a lot of like hardship, death in the family type stuff over the last few years. And I think if I didn't actively practice being more grateful, like I would probably dwell on that. Whereas most of what I've been able to focus on is like my sister and I over the last 10 years, like we lived far apart from each other. So we don't get to hang out all the time. It's like, yeah, this, this stuff sucks. This is a lot of family tragedy, but Hey, we got each other. Like we're hanging out. This is pretty cool. Like, right. Yeah. It still sucks, but you can't really do anything when, when life gives you all that stuff to deal with. So you just got to like latch onto the stuff that you can control. And I found that that helps a lot overall. And when it comes to performance type, scenarios i i can also leverage it i think we can take advantage of this optimistic thinking this gratitude like it expands our brain so like if we're in the thick of it i can see like all right this is a tough situation in this hockey game what can we do to get out of it and just focus myself on that focus my teammates on it um so yeah i'd say that's overall number one strength if i had to rank them Right. And I'm glad you tied it back around to performance because I think we get so engaged in our discussion sometimes that we sometimes lose sight of the overarching goal because part of that is that performance applies to just life, right? Like in a lot of ways, competition is a metaphor for existence and all the things we go through on a daily basis. So talking about it in terms of, you know, jobs and personal hardship, I I think is just as useful, Mm -hmm. but I do like that you took the time to wrap it back around to how it affects you in performance. Uh, you know, and I, I think going back to my strength risk, you can obviously see the applications of not being afraid to take a risky play, uh, gambling on third and one if you're a football coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can think of times it's paid me huge dividends. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that the best game of Magic the Gathering I ever played in my life was recorded on camera at a pro tour. And so I I have this thing to point back to all the time, but I took a really, really risky play in a game of Magic on camera and got paid off really hard for it in a game that otherwise would have been very difficult to win in kind of like dramatic fashion. And I think it was a perfect application of my tolerance for risk. And I'll link that in the show notes for all the the Magic players we have listening, uh, a, a spot where I really tapped into my risk tolerance and used it to to gain an advantage. But I see exactly what you're saying in terms of optimism in sport. It's worth so much. I mean, if you've competed in team sports, I bet you've had a defeatist teammate before, right? Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. And you know the damage those people do to the team environment, to the team structure, and to your chances of winning. It just doesn't add anything whatsoever to the team dynamic. Uh, And I remember nearly coming to blows with a teammate in high school uh, on my football team who was just that person. They were just so down on everything and and so defeatist. And I'm like, you are harming everyone around <laughs> you and hurting our chances of success. Yeah. It's so much better to be on your side of the coin for sure. I know you know League of like you watch League of Legends a bit. I don't know if yeah. you've been watching Worlds at all. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I think there's so many good examples of that. Like anytime you see a team behind, like the you're watching the the best in the game and what's going through their head like sure there are definitely teams and i'm sure even players that at times are are thinking like oh we're like there's no way we're getting out of this we're gonna lose whatever but the teams that do make comebacks they're not sitting there thinking about the fact that they're losing they're figuring out what are the plays if any 
that we can make to change this game around and then they do them and that those are the teams that make comebacks it's they're, they're focused on like what are the small things that i can influence and that comes from optimism and those are the teams that are now in the round of eight yep. versus the ones who did not advance yeah team liquid give jonathan a call like for real <laughs> Get your stuff together. Uh, if you don't follow League of Legends, I know this is completely meaningless to you, yeah. but Team Liquid is competing in I League of Legends worlds. And I, I I feel like they could just use your help, Jonathan. I, I really do. Uh, a lot of It feels like there's a lot of defeated attitudes around. Uh, obviously, a very successful regular season. They made worlds. Uh, big upgrade for their organization. I think they had enough talent to do more than they did, though, at the world stage. And, uh, you know, I, I always root for Team Liquid. I, I think they're one of the a pioneering best, esports org. Yeah, one of the best North American League players of all time. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I would have liked to see a better performance at Worlds. But yeah. they could always hire you next year, Jonathan, and Maybe. improve and, and crush the world stage. Find me on Twitter. <laughs> so I guess this brings it back around <laughs> to, to my next year. Uh, salesmanship <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm really good at that um no this this one is one that has uh again a lot of these feel late in life and i don't think it's i don't think it's a surprise that if you compare my kind of career path trajectory to other people to me it doesn't surprise me that i'm a quote-unquote late bloomer and i i've done more with the more recent years in my life, mm -hmm. my 30s than I did with my 20s. Because I feel like so many of these things are skills that I've only gained in recent years and only really tapped into in recent years. But I feel like I have a readiness to admit both fault and a lack of knowledge. Mm. And definitely not something i had when i was younger i thought i knew everything and nothing was ever my fault as your facebook um, posts uh right <laughs> right uh yeah that was uh <laughs> this is an example of me being able to admit fault and my lack of understanding of the situation yeah um, but those have piled up over time and honestly i feel like i am only rewarded by acknowledging my weaknesses because that gives me a chance to fill them in. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no value in pretending some, pretending to know something you don't know, no matter what the company may be. Because say you're trying to impress your superiors at a job and you're playing off that you know something that you actually have no knowledge of. Well, if your superiors have knowledge of that thing, do you think you're really going to be successful <laughs> in that endeavor or should you try and fake your way by or should you just say no that's not something i'm familiar with do you want to explain it to me do you want to tell me about it uh and this is something i've used a lot in job interviews as well and and i think to great excess uh great success excuse me i think it's important to own your faults own your weaknesses and show a willingness to address them as a potential employer if i was hiring someone that would be worth so much more to me mm -hmm. than seeing someone who's trying to cover their lack of knowledge with, you know, thin facts or uh, smooth talking. It's only going to get you so far. And then it reaches a point where it's not a successful strategy and ownership of your weakness and ownership of your lack of knowledge is worth a lot more. And look, I know so little about this world 
And sometimes I feel silly on this show because I, I espouse <laughs> a lot of views and they're not really based, like you're formally trained. I've, I'm just someone who's lived a life and this is what I've learned through my life. A lot of this stuff is probably very easily refutable uh, and I openly admit that. And I hope that when I say something that doesn't quite jive with you, I hope you challenge that yeah. and are willing to go your own way. That's important to me. As we have these back and forths, I, I think it's very meaningful to fail sometimes. And I only gain from my failures. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. And I do it all the time. Yeah, it's hard to measure. But I imagine over your life that has saved you so much energy. Because like the people who do what you were describing, where like they get caught up in this like fakeness, and then they have to cover that, cover that, cover that. You're just expending so much energy towards something that's not actually productive, and and you seemingly haven't done that after a certain point. It's like so you gotta right. imagine that's added up. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and I feel like I did do that at a point in my life. Like I can think back to a point where that was more my mo. I wanted to get by on like smoothness and polish and fast talking. And I, I think I was pretty good at it in most instances mm -hmm. and I, I got pretty far with it, but there's a limit to it. And it, like you said, it's exhausting and it, it's living a disingenuous life. And I know that's something that will certainly ruffle your feathers. I know you're big on being genuine mm -hmm. and, and being real and you can't do so when you're not willing to admit the things you don't know. I, I'm sure you, Jonathan, there are many things you do not know, even in your field of expertise oh, yeah. as a uh, you know, performance analyst. And, and I hear you say that all the time. Often we have points of conversation that come up and you're like, I'm not sure. And I like that about you. I, it makes your the advice you do give so much more worthwhile when I know you aren't giving me uh, an answer just for the sake of giving an answer. You're willing to step back and admit you don't have knowledge. Yeah, it's just easier because like, <laughs> like, like you said, if I say that I know something and then especially in recorded form, but right. just in my day job or like in my side work, like standing in front of a group of people and claiming something wrong, like especially in the year 2018, that just comes back. Like everyone has Google, everybody like Google knows better than everybody. You can just Google the answer. So, so why lie about it? Like when it comes to knowledge, I just think it's so funny. It's funny you mentioned Google because I feel like I see this problem generationally manifest a lot more with older people. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's like just me reading too much into the situation, but I, I mean. There's like a, a meme of the uncle at your family gatherings who comes and <laughs> right. just spews com conspiracy nonsense, yeah. right? But like you, you can you can kind of see it happening. It, it's people who are maybe brought up in a world where there wasn't this kind of constant fact checking, and people did just make things up all the time. And there, there's a lot more information available these days. You really can't do things like that. I'll also say this comes in very useful too as a content creator. Mm. Because for a long time, I would put forth content. If someone didn't agree with it, I would fight with them. And to, to what ends, really? Like now, I find a lot more comfort uh, in putting forth this content, 
someone can disagree with it and I can say, hmm, maybe you're right. Because we're dealing, you know, in the field that I produce content in, magic, we're dealing with a very imprecise science. Right. And there's no hard metrics that you can often point to that say, oh, this is very clearly the case and you're 100% wrong. So I usually, in most instances, will just see the point saying, it's possible you're right. That's not because I don't have conviction in what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. It's just I'm aware of the fact that there is no hard science to these things and people are able to come to their own conclusions. And I have a lot of faith in my conclusions. I think nine times out of 10, I'm going to be right when I espouse something. But that 10th time, I'm going to be wrong. And this could be that 10th time. And if it is, and I'm it's, it's proven thusly, I'm willing to accept that with no hard feelings whatsoever. Yeah. I don't think this is something that people are necessarily one or the other either. Like you don't have to be someone who admits every wrong or someone who never admits that you're wrong, but even just taking stock of where you are on, I guess that spectrum, I think is Mm. super useful for improvement. Like if you can think about whatever it is you're trying to get better at or whatever it is you do day in, day out, like if you can make sure you are being honest with how you're assessing it. I think that's just such a huge level up moment when it comes to your own rate of improvement. If you can realize whatever your notion was about something was wrong and then like fix it, it just makes you practice better. Like it's okay being wrong, especially if it leads to you being better in the end. Yeah, spot on. And I can remember an instance in, again, my athletic performance going back to football I was a lineman. Uh, We got a new defensive line coach in my junior year, Coach Hantha, a really great football coach. If you're listening, Coach, I appreciate you. (laughs) Um, But he was big on uh, a lot of form things with use of hands, and I wasn't quite getting it. He knew I wasn't quite getting it, but initially I was pushing back, and you know I I was – I was certain I was doing it correctly, this technique he was trying to teach us. And I, I just basically argued with him and was just like, no, you're missing this. I'm doing <laughs> this right. And, and then I actually figured out his technique, applied it, and I had to go to him. And this is one of the first times I could remember having this like humility and actually letting myself be wrong and just being like, coach, I get it now. I'm sorry. I understand <laughs> what you were trying to teach me. And it was something with leverage under the pads and like driving uh-huh. the pads under someone's chin, which I, I wasn't quite executing properly. And then when I figured it out, it was just so easy. World of, oh yeah. It made a world of difference and it was completely different from what I was doing initially. Um, and, and you know, so that ability to be like, okay, maybe there's something here. Maybe I just am wrong about this and I can improve on this aspect of my game. That'll pay off in competition over and over and over, you know, I, again, magic being willing to be wrong in magic. Oh, I think this deck is good. I think this card is good mm-hmm. and having it proven wrong okay, I was proven wrong and I can accept that conclusion and then I can benefit from that knowledge and not waste my time trying (laughs) to kind of fit a square peg into a round. Right. Doubling down doesn't do anything for you in that situation. Correct. Spot on. Well, you mentioned- Uh, Okay, how about we- Go ahead. Yeah, like I was going to go a different direction, but you mentioned um, just like the ruffling of my feathers when something's inauthentic. Uh, Right. At this point, and this is definitely one that I grew into, um, but just living authentically or just 
exuding authenticity, I think is both something I strive and mostly am very good at and also something I value the heck out of. And I'm sure this is incredibly useful when it comes to both career pursuits and performance pursuits. Yeah. And career pursuit wise, it like that was definitely one of the pivot points for me with it. Because when I first got the job with the army, I had in my head what you had to do to like be a person who trains soldiers. Like part of it was my, my dad was prior military. So I had that in my head, like everyone has their own like pop culture version of, of military that they know I'd been doing studying. And I just envisioned the military as this super rigid, everything has a structure, everything has a rule environment. Um, which it very much is in a lot of respects, but that allowed me to shape the way I went about educating soldiers in performance psychology. And it was definitely not as effective as what I do now. So, and do you think that ineffectiveness came mostly from the fact that this isn't you. Yeah. Like, that's not the way you're supposed to be presenting things. Yeah. And it wasn't even that like I was doing anything wrong. It's just making it so much harder than it needed to be. And mm. that made it way less effective. So I envisioned the military as like you had to show up. If you're a contractor, wear like slacks, white shirt, black tie, whatever. Just super, super formal. And that is not me. Not to say I don't like formal wear but when i do i'm a bit more colorful which is weird even though i like i don't see colors properly but, like i wear bow ties on occasion I, I love hoodies like i don't wear just black shoes like so it, it's a bit more what what i would not at the time envision functioning in a military environment and then similarly i thought i needed to just be this dispenser of knowledge and what I find is way more effective, which is probably a shock to no one, is just like guiding students along with you, kind of how we talk about stuff on this podcast. It's not just knowledge. It's it's wrestling with it, thinking about how it applies to our lives or how we did or didn't do it in the past. Um, and, and when I started taking that approach and just not caring about like being this formal subject matter expert, but just being Jonathan, just being me and showing up every day and being playful, being humorous and like having self-deprecating humor and then making fun of my students. Like anytime I, once I started doing that, I was so much better at my job and it was so much easier. It's funny that this comes up in the context of this cast, which I feel in many ways is a little bit of, the head games version of doing that same reckoning. This feels like a lot more, not to say we're not genuine when we're presenting our typical format mm -hmm. of topic, discussion, solution. I, I think we're a hundred percent genuine, but I also think there's value to just free flowing conversation 
and you know sharing our backgrounds because it it is more organic there aren't as many structures on our conversation there haven't been over these last two episodes Mm -hmm. and i think people have been really enjoying that probably for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about right now for the same reason you were able to connect with people at your work i think in the same way as doing this type of show structure connects with people who are listening to our podcast yeah i agree and i think if you were to compare probably the first two episodes to episode like four or five and beyond you probably even hear it because podcasting is a new thing we uh, like well for me more so like i mentioned it on the first episode and now (laughs) i guess i'm a bit more comfortable talking into a microphone uh and just staring at a wall um but right it's a weird thing it's a weird thing to take on i know yeah but but like it was a similar process and it's definitely bled into my personal life too like i i think it's more it, it was more pronounced that i was authentically me in my personal life but i think everyone even experiences this with different people like if you probably have friends that you act differently with than other people and just consider like why like is it is it because the people are different or are you just like holding back part of you and similar to when you were saying that you've just made decisions to take certain risks to overall increase your well-being like i am mostly just me i'm with it i'm i'm, I'm me with clients with business opportunities with my wife, my friends, my students, my coworkers. And do you know how easy it is to just wake up and be you instead of being somebody else? It's like so much easier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> much easier having experienced the other side of it. Again, going back to my big law job, I, I didn't feel like I had the capacity to just be myself. Yeah. And maybe that's my failing. Honestly, it is my failing. I'll I'll say that right now. That was my failing. I never felt like I could just be who I was and and be comfortable, except in limited circumstances with close friends at my firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then I finally felt like myself. And late in my time with the firm, there was a core group that I worked with very regularly who I I did feel that level of comfort with, and, and it felt like I got to be who I was. But in general firm functions, I never got to that level of comfort, and it made every day so trying mm-hmm. to wake up and, and try and be something you're not. It's just exhausting. And genuineness, not only does it pay dividends in terms of output, what you get from your performances and from your career, but just in ease of use like it's so much simpler to just be you yeah we're saying it's so easy um because we're at this place where we do that believe me prior to my awakening or or whatever you want to call it uh i did not like wake up and just be me naturally in all facets um but we've when we talked motivation episodes ago I mean, this is what I'm talking about. When, whenever you're trying to do something, be it personal life, job, a performance, whatever it is, if you can figure out who you are and what makes you tick on a daily basis and just bring that to stuff, it's so much easier. You are naturally motivated. You are just you being you. And, and that's the, the beauty of figuring out what it is you're good at. Because if you can figure out your like top strengths, the things that make you the best at whatever it is, just bring that stuff more often and you'll find success. Great 
great summation of everything that's going on here. I think it probably is time to put a bow on this series of podcasts. I, I think they've been super interesting for me in a lot of ways. The discussions we've had over the two weeks uh, prior, it feels like kind of a chronicle of me mm. growing up. Like the things I just wouldn't accept or didn't know about myself or didn't learn uh, going back the last 17, 18 years prior to the point where, you know, I, I'm starting to approach adulthood. And now we're at the point where I'm recording this podcast, all of that journey to get to the point where I am now. And I feel pretty good about myself and pretty comfortable. Not a hundred percent. We all have our right. down days. Uh, I, I don't want to paint it like I have everything figured out and there's still plenty more I hope to work on and, and grow from. But I, I think these discussions are basically the summation of my past 17 or 18 years of life mm -hmm. experience and what I've been able to take away from them and, and get closer to who I actually am. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's a very similar experience for me. And I think just part of what leads to some of my successes is just periodically checking in on this stuff. You know, what are my weaknesses still the same thing? Have I done anything with them? Like, are there any new strengths I have? Am I using my strengths? And just that type of awareness or check-in, I think is really useful. So I'm putting a reminder in my calendar right now. We're going to come back and do this next year. One year from now, we're going to come back and, and check in again on our strengths and weaknesses. Maybe we'll revisit these same strengths. Maybe we'll look at new ones, uh, You know, talk about how we've improved on our weaknesses. I, I think your point of checking in is spot on. So now we have Ooh, a date one year down the road. 18. Yeah, so look forward to it. Whatever the date this releases, <laughs> 2019. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yep, October 2019. Uh, so... That's going to wrap us up. We're going to be back next week. Another episode I'm really excited about, a little bit different than the standard episode. Jonathan is going to come to us with some of his favorite studies in his field. I'm going to review them ahead of time. We're going to talk through them. He's going to teach me everything I need to know about them. Uh, we'll distribute those to our listeners before the episode comes out or with the episode. Maybe you'll get a chance to read along with it. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a really great show. I'm really excited for it. And we'll be back next week to play some more head games.